Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Threading Camels by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, as we come around your word this morning, we pray that our hearts would be open. We pray for, give us eyes to see you this morning. We pray in your wonderful and glorious name, Father, as we meet together. Amen and amen. If you've got your Bibles, you'd like to meet me in Luke chapter 18 and jump around a little bit this morning. Uh, you may or may not, uh, depending on your age, you may or may not have heard the name Lee Atwell. I'm not sure if anybody, it's not likely to ring a bell. Uh, let me tell you who Lee Atwell was and why uh, this morning he's so prominent. Lee Atwell was a man that rose to prominence in the late 70s and early 80s in America politi- in the American political scene. He was the political advisor for Ronald Reagan. He was the political advisor for George W. Bush Sr. And he is heralded as the man that uh, basically got George Bush across the line in the 1988 presidential Election. He was known for his enormously aggressive campaigning tactics, including, uh, for those that are in the political scene, you can look them up for yourself, including the Southern tactic or whatever that was, but it was reasonably ruthless. But he was a man that in the 80s was enormously prominent on the American scene. He had amassed great wealth. He had amassed great influence. Uh, He was the kind of guy that was right-hand man to presidents, but everybody wanted to sit across the table from this guy. What you may not know about Lee Atwell, if you do know him, is that in 1990, shortly after the 1988 election, uh, in 1990, he suffered a brain, because of a brain tumour, he suffered an enormous seizure while in at a public meeting. And he was later diagnosed with a brain tumour. He underwent treatment, but instead of getting better, he got worse. Twelve months later, that brain tumour would claim his life. Shortly after his diagnosis, interesting story that's leading to something in a moment, but uh, shortly after his diagnosis, he publicly converted to Roman Catholicism. Whether, what kind of genuineness that is, we leave that with the Lord. But however, he did undergo enormous public acts of repentance. He sent letters to those he campaigned against, apologising for the aggressive nature, etc., etc. But he is known for a quote that I want to share with you this morning, that I think not only spoke to his time, but speaks to us today. Steve, if you want to throw the words up on the screen, I'll read them out for you. Shortly before his death, Lee Atwell, uh, in an interview, penned, oh, spoke these words, but it was penned. The 1980s, he says, were about acquiring, acquiring wealth, power, prestige. I know. I acquired more wealth, power, and prestige than most, but you can acquire all you want and still be empty. What power wouldn't I trade for a little more time with my family? What price wouldn't I pay for one more dinner with a friend? It took a deadly illness to put me eye to eye with that truth. But it is a truth that the country, caught up in its ruthless ambitions and moral decay. (laughs) These are words from a political advisor. It took a deadly illness, he says, uh, with its ruthless ambitions and moral decay, can, he says they can learn this on my dime. I don't know who will lead us through the 90s, but they must be able to speak to this spiritual vacuum at the heart of American society and this tumour of the soul. I don't know who 
I'm not really interested in who led America through the 90s. I'm not really interested in who led Australia through the 90s. But I can tell you that 2,000 years ago, a man spoke exactly to this spiritual vacuum and he spoke exactly to this tumour of the soul because it was just as prevalent 2,000 years ago as it is today. But this morning, as we come around God's word and as we begin to look more deeply, perhaps at the gospel, this morning we live in a more society. Was it Rockefeller? Some decades ago, he was asked, how much money is enough? Rockefeller said, just a little bit more. But how many of us have got a little bit of Rockefeller in us? How many of us have said, you know what, just a little bit more? How much work is enough work? Maybe just a few more hours. Uh, How much influence? How much power? How much prestige? How many Facebook friends? All of those things. How much money do you need in the bank? Maybe just a little bit more. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus addressed this spiritual vacuum and moral decay. And uh, the gospel is the message where Jesus radically transforms what our more is. Today, I want to tell you that Jesus came to be your more. The gospel hits us at the heart because many of us have at least shared seasons where we're like maybe Lily Atwell. I'm here to build my own kingdom. I'm here to increase my influence. Lee Atwell died at the age of 40. You're not guaranteed your next day. And it's interesting how we hurtle through life trying to amass more when the more that you're looking for is there the whole time. I have spoken to people and I currently am speaking to people now who are very prominent business people and say, you know what, years ago when I opened my business and I embarked on this journey, I thought that my business and acquiring wealth and expanding and all of those things would fulfil me, but I'm just as empty today as I was back then. Because there's a spiritual vacuum. Today as we look at Luke chapter 18, I want to introduce you to a man Uh, a rich young ruler and uh, what Jesus spoke to him. I'll get to the title of threading camels in a moment, but some may understand what that means. But verse 18 of chapter 18, it says, and a ruler asked him. And we have to ask ourselves immediately, who is this ruler? Uh, just so that we know this, this rich young ruler, we know that because he is spoken of in every one of the synoptic gospels. Uh, in Mark and Matthew and Luke, uh, we learn of this rich young ruler. Uh, in Mark, we learn that he comes running to Jesus and kneels down before him. In Matthew, we learn that he's not only wealthy, but that he's a ruler and a prominent leader, that he's likely to be a leader of the local synagogue. This is the kind of guy that when he's walking down the street, everybody wants to cross the street to speak to him. When he's shopping in the supermarket, everybody leaves their trolley to talk to him. Uh, This is a guy that has great influence, great wealth, great property. But he comes running to Jesus because he, like so many today, are realising, you know what? Something's missing. This rich young ruler will take it even further. We're going to learn that he is enormously religious which is why we think he may be a leader of a local synagogue. Synagogue was the best way to understand is our understanding of church. It was the local Jewish synagogue. You only needed 10 Jewish people in a village to start a synagogue. 
So he was likely to be the leader of a local synagogue and he comes to Jesus because something is missing. And you know, before we go any further today, I want to be absolutely clear that what this man possesses is not his issue. How much money he has is not the problem. How much property he has is not the problem. How much influence he has is not the problem. It's not the issue. We're going to see that this guy's got a couple of issues and we'll unpack them as we work our way along. But today, as we're speaking about Jesus being our more, uh, we're all given kind of instruments on the dashboard of our cars. Ladies usually ignore the fuel gauge uh, uh, part of the dashboard. My mother-in-law has a spiritual gift. She rides the lightning every time. She, how far can I push it to, to the... Uh, you get the phone call, there's something wrong with the car and we all take a petrol tin because we know what's wrong with the car. But today, uh, I, I need to be clear because Augustine, I think, sums it up beautifully. Augustine said, you know what? If Christ is not valued above all, then he is not valued at all. And as we work our way through this morning, I want to give you a couple of instruments on the dashboard that you can check your heart because Jesus has given us those. First two of those are how you deal with and spend your money is an indicator of what you value and how you meter out your time and how you section out your time is another one about what you... What I mean by that is what you believe in and what it is that drives your life will be reflected in how you treat finances and how you divvy up your time. And this morning, uh, before you get the tomatoes out, hang on to them till the end, please. But I, I want to be clear this morning. I don't want you this morning to make Jesus your number one priority. Because the, the problem is, if Jesus is one of many priorities, we're just going to shuffle him when it's convenient, you see. I don't want Jesus to be any of your priorities. I want all of your priorities to be listed inside of Christ. We should shuffle priorities. Our financial priorities kind of flow with the seasons of life and so do our work priorities and our family priorities. When our kids get to teenagers, there's a priority to get them out of the house, right? (laughs) Number one priority, how do I get you out of my house and out of my pantry? priorities naturally flow, but I don't want Jesus to ever change. And you see, the gospel's not a message to come and rearrange the order in our lives necessarily. Jesus came and said, I want to be everything to you. And the Bible has a word for that that we're going to touch on when we come to the end. But let's, let's keep going through our journey this morning. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Anybody pick up on the oxymoron in that question? How do you do anything to get hold of an inheritance? You see, I love how the words like this are used to describe the gospel. Inheritance is a beautiful word because if you receive an inheritance, basically what happens is somebody else has done all of the work and built up all of the assets and then they give it to you for free. What did you do to receive an inheritance? You receive it, right? Saddest thing today is that many people have an inheritance waiting for them that they haven't received. There are Christians that don't understand the inheritance that was laid out for you. You can be free from so much. What an oxymoron. What do I have to do to receive? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And also when we're talking about eternal life, when Jesus in particular is talking about life, he's not, it's not a reference to quantity. 
Eternal life is actually not a reference to quantity. Does it go on forever? Yes. But it's more about quality. You see that every single person actually goes on for eternity. But the quality of that eternity is determined here. And there are people that will experience a different quality of eternity to us. And so this rich young ruler realises, I've got all of these possessions, I've got all of this wealth, I'm the who's who, the paparazzi, are following me on their donkeys. <laughs> but he says, you know what? He recognises Jesus has got something I don't have. Because he comes running to Jesus. How do I get what you've got? You've got something that I don't have. We are called to preach the gospel. More about this on the 26th. We are called to preach and speak the gospel. Please do so. But can I tell you that there is power in a Christ-shaped life when everybody at your workplace realises you've got something they don't have. And they do exactly what's happened here. They come and ask you, what have you got that I don't have? Apart from brushing good looks and guns of steel. (laughs) Spot the Pharisee this morning. (laughs) Found a couple. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, what this, you know what he wants? He wants what a lot of us want. He wants a formula. He wants a list. You know, in John chapter 6, the then religious leaders came to Jesus. Love this. They come to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? S. Give us the list, Jesus. Give us the formula. What do we have to, we'll work through the list. That's okay. We'll tick them off. Just where, where is the list? And we'll start working our way down the list. Jesus replies very beautifully. He says, this is the work. No S, singular. This is the work of God. That you believe in him who he sent. And when John uses that word believe, which he uses 99 times in his gospel, it's a verb that says we, present tense verb, of us casting the fullness of our trust and reliance upon Christ each and every day. Jesus says, if you want to be doing the work of God, if you want to, if you want to, if you want a list, it's got one thing written on it. Believe in Jesus. The word believe and the word receive is used synonymously throughout the Gospel of John. It means exactly the same thing. If you want to receive your inheritance, cast the fullness of your life upon him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. When Jesus is asking a question, he's not looking for information. Why do you call me good? This is an enormously profound question. First reason is, uh, what he's saying to this rich young ruler, because goodness, the word good there is a characteristic. It's a character goodness that was ascribed in the Old Testament Judaism to God alone. You only use this word in reference to God alone under Old Testament Judaism. So number one, what Jesus is saying to this rich young ruler is, if I'm good, then I'm God. And if I'm God, we need to have a completely different conversation today. Issue number one. This rich young ruler doesn't have a full comprehension or understanding of who Jesus is. Good teacher. Number two, 
Jesus is now going to have a conversation about goodness. We're going to have a look at his measure of goodness and then we're going to have a look at God's measure of goodness. We live in a society today, I hear this inside of church circles, well, I'm a good person. How many times do you hear that? I'm a good person. I go to church on Easter and Christmas. I work hard, I pay my taxes. That goodness is not going to get you over that wall, friend. There's only one way. Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness and honour your father and your mother. What is interesting here is there are ten commandments. Five deal with our horizontal relationships, which is the five that are listed here. Five deal with our vertical relationship, which have been omitted here. You know the commandments. You see, I think today there are a lot of rich young rulers in church pews. Keeps me up at night. They've joined the church, but have they really joined Jesus? They've got religion, but have they got a relationship? Oh, yeah, they've got the head knowledge. I've got people that can argue the Bible with me till they're black and blue in the face. But do you have heart change? You see, the gospel doesn't fill your head with knowledge. It changes and transforms your heart. We can fill church seats, but are the people still empty? Come on now. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honour your father and mother. And he said, all of these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. You still fall short. You know, Romans 3 tells us that every single man, woman and child falls short of the glory of God. And this guy's falling short. You still have a lack. You're still falling short. There is still something going on. You know, when you kind of go to the doctor and they kind of give an x-ray and they say, well, there's something there. And then they go and send you for a CT scan and they go, oh, there's something there. You know, when they send you for the MRI, you need to be a little bit concerned. I pray right now that God is sliding every one of us in that MRI machine because that's what he's doing with this rich young ruler. You've got a problem. There's something holding you back. There is something you're holding on to that's clogging up your heart. Interesting, by the way, uh, when you read through the Gospels, uh, Jesus actually references those that are rich, comfortable and prosperous as being disadvantaged when it comes to entering the kingdom of God. If you're in Australia and you have three meals a day, my boys have six, but if you have three meals a day (laughs) and you have a roof over your head, you are in the top 5% across the globe of rich people. You are rich today. I need to be clear today that this, if what you hear today is I need to go home and mortgage the house and sell the car, you've missed it this morning. Because what is inside your heart can be completely different. The issue is not money. 
The issue is not possessions. If God's given you those, God bless you. Enjoy them. If you are wealthy, it's probably because God trusts you with the money. God bless you. Money is not the problem. Possessions are not the problem. Power is not the problem. Let's start working our way towards the problem. Jesus says to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. See, the gospel changes that word worth. The gospel changes that word value in our lives. Imagine with me for a moment, if you can, three families that have planned a holiday for for such a long time. For many, many months, they planned a trip to Yosemite National Park. I don't know if anybody's ever seen photos of Yosemite National Park, the huge granite cliffs, the awesome nature walks, the beautiful views. They've planned this holiday. They're going to take all of their families. Time finally comes. First morning, they're walking. They're admiring the huge granite cliffs. They're they're wonderfully admiring the, the, the nature, and they sit down for lunch. They take all of their gear off. They're sitting down, talking, having lunch, and then they are horrified to notice that the four-year-old toddler that was with them has gone missing. How many of us in this room know that before you can blink an eye, every single one of them has just abandoned everything and gone after that four-year-old toddler? Is it because that toddler's bigger than all of those cliffs and canyons? Is it because it's more? No, because that toddler is intrinsically more valuable, that you will abandon everything. Jesus came to change our treasure. Jesus came to be our more. Can we not all be guilty of forgetting the toddler and looking at all the cliffs? Jesus is here the whole time. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. You see, the remedy for this rich young ruler, and there are people in the room today that have a similar remedy. Uh, The remedy here was whatever it is that's clogging up in your heart, if you have a tumour or a growth and you get put in an MRI machine and you get pulled out, the surgeon's going to say, listen, this is what we need to cut out of your life right now. And then he's going to say, this is probably some things you need to add into your life. And if he uses the word kale, find another doctor. It's the same when Jesus puts us in the MRI machine. Here's some things you might have to cut out of your life. What's Jesus after here? Full surrender. But aren't we good at partial surrender? (laughs) Jesus says, I want it all and I want it today. That's what the gospel says. Jesus says, I don't want to be a part of your life. You see... This guy's made a mistake here. Uh, I want to know what the list is. I want to know what the formula is. How how do I tack Jesus onto the end of my life? You don't tack Jesus onto the end of anywhere. You don't add Jesus to anything. He is all. Inside of Jesus is where we divvy up the rest of our life. Because he came to be our all. He came to be our more. He says to this rich young ruler, there's some things you've got to cut out of your life. I need full surrender, but we're good at full surrender. And we kind of write a piece, here's our terms, God, and we slide our terms across the table, don't we? I'll give you this and I'll give you this and I'll give you this, but I want to hang on to this stuff. 
I'll give you all of this, Lord, but let me keep my cat. (laughs) What Jesus is waiting for from every person in this room is for you to raise the white flag in your heart and stop sliding the paper across the table with your terms on it and slide it across blank. God, here's my piece of paper. You write the terms. When was the last time we did that? rich young ruler one thing you still lack sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and here's the greatest invitation in the universe come follow me that word follow isn't a picture of necessarily behind a distance it's come follow me come come alongside me the best way to understand that word in the greek follow is the word cleave which is why our relationship with God mirrors very closely our marriage because we hear the word cleave. We're going to hear it in a couple of weeks. Cheryl, good morning to you too, Dom. Uh, but uh, we're, uh, we, the word cleave is we leave something and we hold fast. And so follow means leave that and hold fast to me. Hmm. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. We're actually not told what his response was. We're just told he was sad. We don't know whether he refused or not. We don't know whether he came back later. Nicodemus in John chapter 3, everyone goes, oh, well, you know, Nicodemus left unchanged. That's not what the Gospel of John tells us later on. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. God is still threading camels today. You used to be one of them. I've had people say of me, it's impossible for him to ever be saved. It is, under my own steam. You know what they said about... Go back to the first century, after the resurrection of Christ, pick one person on that landscape that you would have pointed to and said, it is impossible that man would ever be saved. You would probably point to Saul of Tarsus. (laughs) But here's a man and his donkey and Jesus. Interesting response by Paul, by the way. First word out of Paul's mouth when he sees Jesus, Lord, who are you? No mistake, what he was seeing. Praise be to his wonderful name. How difficult it is. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Before, I said that there's a word in the New Testament 
that I would like to get to. It's kind of a lead up to the 26, but I love this word. I don't think there's any better word used to describe it. If I can read to you from the Gospel of Colossians. A little bit of background. The church at Colossae, Paul didn't found the church at Colossae. In fact, he'd never even ministered there. He sent people there and Paul's in prison. And the, the guy that's leading the church, Epaphroditus, says, you know what, there's a whole lot of teaching going on and I don't know how to combat these guys. So he goes to Paul and says, well, I've got some fruitcakes. Paul says, tell me. No. <laughs> he says, I've got, I, I got some really loose cannons and I don't know. And it was actually this teaching called Gnosticism. And so Gnosticism has many elements to it, but one of it is we elevate angels and the worship of angels above other things. So Paul writes to the church at Colossae, and here's what he's got to say. Here's what he's got to say to a teaching and to a bunch of people that were allowing everything else to crowd into their heart and take that place that belongs to Jesus. Here's what he says. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. You getting, the, you getting the picture? Paul wants them to know. Gets better. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Why? Why did you just tell us all of that, Paul? So that in everything he might be preeminent. Notice Paul didn't say in some things. You know, Paul didn't say you need to be preeminent in your finances, but not in anything else. Church life, every program, every meeting, he must be preeminent. That means that he must hold a superior place. That means that he must be the chief. Inside and outside of church circles, there is a glaring problem. Too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Jesus must be the chief. His agenda must be the agenda. So that in all things, he may be distinguished above everything else. Our mission statement here at The Rock is that we would passionately pursue the preeminence of Christ in everything. We want to help you do that. More about that on the 26th. But as we come to a close this morning, when you went through the MRI machine, what what showed up? Can I read a passage from the book beforehand from the Apostle Paul? I love these words. From one rich young ruler to another, Paul would say these words this morning. Chapter 3 of Philippians. We'll start at verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Do you you have confidence in the flesh today? Your mum and dad in church? Did you grow up in church? Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, listen to the resume here. Paul had a a resume, man. 
If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Loves himself a little bit. (laughs) Verse 7, I love these verses. I can't say it any better than these verses, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, verse 8 says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Did you grab those two words? What Paul is saying is, my old life, who I was, my resume, I threw it all out. You want to know why? Jesus is far more worthy. That's what he's saying here. For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. Best way to describe that word in the Greek is dung. In order that I may gain Christ. You can gain Christ today. I don't know how many times I hear people say to me, Pastor, I want to go deeper with God, but I don't have the time. You've got the time. I make you this guarantee, you've got the time. Oh, I want to go deeper with God, but I was hurt way back then. Hey, listen, I've been in church long enough to get kicked in the teeth as well. That's not a reflection on Jesus. Nearly all of us in this room would have baggage from the past. But maybe like this rich young ruler, we're saying, I want a partial surrender. Today, Jesus says, full surrender. And as we sit here today, I ask you, what does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to fully surrender? When are you going to raise the white flag in your heart? The biggest problem the rich young ruler had was he wasn't willing to pay the price. I wonder what would happen if 150-odd people, and most of us in this room are odd. I wonder what would happen if we all raised the white flag in our hearts and we slid the piece of paper across the desk and said, you know what, God? Not my will. Your will be done. I wonder if we can just take a couple of moments in silence. Jesus in a world consumed with more. I pray that you would be our more.
I pray that the white flag would go up in our hearts. May you be, for each and every one of us in this room, may you be the very air that we breathe. Thank you for saving us, Jesus. Thank you that you valued each one of us so much that you gave everything for us. I pray that we would all do the same in return. wonderful name we pray this morning thanks for listening to the rock christian church podcast to be notified when the next episode is available subscribe on our website at therock.org.au you can also connect with us on facebook at the rock christian church we hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode